fire now! Cease fire now! There's an old proverb. Can a man take fire into his bosom and not be burnt? It's a take on the very familiar phrase, if you play with fire, you will get burnt. It's a simple way of saying, what did you think was going to happen? And in light of recent pro-Palestine protests coming to Nashville and even to smaller cities all around the United States, it does beg this question. What do you think will happen to a generation when you tell them there is no God, only chemical reactions leading to emotions? There is no future because of catastrophic climate change. What did you think would happen when you told the generation that biological sex is merely a feeling that can be solved with a surgeon's knife? I don't freaking know. What did you think would happen when radical abortionists preach pleasure without consequences to a generation in love with safe spaces? Help, help, I'm being repressed. What did you think would happen when the experts polarized the nation with an experimental vaccine? And more importantly, what did you think would happen when the faith that was once the bedrock of the American West came under continual assault by militant atheists. Frankly, this is what you get. You get a group of Americans who praise Osama bin Laden for his great work on 9-11 in the extreme. And in the much softer sense, a group of people who hate the West so much they'll support one of the most aggressive human rights abusers in the world while they protest Israel, the only bastion of Western freedom in the Middle East. You may foolishly argue, as many atheists do, that I have a blind spot because I'm a Christian and I believe in that book that a bunch of ancient sheep herders wrote. But that should be solved with just some simple assertions of fact here. Israel is a sovereign nation. Israel was attacked on October 7th by Hamas. Not a single person cares about Russian civilians killed in Ukrainian attacks because they know Russia invaded sovereign Ukraine. Hamas is still holding hundreds of civilian hostages. Israel will never be at peace until they eliminate Hamas. Hamas is an evil terrorist organization that runs Gaza and the West Bank and wants death to the Jews. And the dirty little secret is that while we should have compassion for all humans, we have to admit Palestinian civilians voted for Hamas because many of them want the same results that Hamas achieved on October 7th. And we don't give outs to German civilians who voted for Hitler. And one last thing. Every single war scholar on the planet understands that war comes with the unfortunate reality of human casualties. For many, those simple facts that I just stated are far too hard to wrap your mind around. We need to rather just be isolationist and question all the information that we're getting. I sympathize with you. It's messy over there. I'd only argue that if that's true, you probably shouldn't be out in the streets saying anything. Grab a book. Heck, grab a documentary. Do something, but don't open your mouth. There's only one reason these people are shouting in purple and now red cities. They are desperate for meaning. They are desperate for causes to believe in. They are desperate to know that their lives matter and have accomplished something. The point in all of this is that meaning used to be derived from spiritual pursuits, not activism. Now our post-enlightenment, post-idiocracy culture is reeling from removing the only existential anchor that can truly provide the kind of purpose that the human soul needs. And activism will never take the place of that purpose. Social justice will never take the place of divine justice. We need God. We need truth. Our souls are starving for it. You don't have to take my word for it. You just have to take the time necessary to put down your signs, grab a Bible, and ask yourself really thoughtful questions that demand more than easy answers. Do that, and there's hope for America. Do it not. And we can yell until our throats are sore, until they're bleeding, but none of it will fill our soul. And we'll talk about that and more today on IndieThinker.
Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. IndieThinker is a tax-exempt nonprofit organization, so that means a couple of things. First of all, that everything that we do is free. We give it to you guys um, uh, free of charge in order that you can benefit from it. Um, and we only ask in return that you consider giving a donation to us to continue the great work that we're doing here. If IndieThinker has been beneficial to you, if it has truly caused you to think, or maybe if you think that the things that we think about here on this show can help others think, then, then perhaps you want to promote the cause of helping people, especially Christians, become independent, critical thinkers. If that's something that's important to you, then I highly encourage you to consider your end of year giving and make IndieThinker a part of that. You can do that by going to the link that's on the screen now or going to the description of this podcast. If in the last year you've listened or watched this show and it's made an impact in any way in your life, uh, I really want to encourage you to help us continue this great work, help us reach more people by considering giving a donation to the great work we're doing here at IndieThinker. I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. I did at my house as well. I did have one issue with relatives, and maybe you did too. And I want to share this because maybe it'll help you with conflict resolution with relatives, especially around the holidays. But more importantly, it will underscore something that I kind of want to, I want to illustrate that, that, that will serve as a backdrop for what I want to talk about throughout the show today. And it is simply this, that when you remove morality of, a, of an objective nature, of an, of an a transcendent nature, all you're left with is personal opinion. So if you remove objective morality, all you have is moral relativism, which leads us to he said, she said, uh, my truth, your truth, that kind of society. And I think that that society is really what is to blame for the polarization that's going on right now, the level of civil discourse on social media. All of that really has less to do with Donald Trump than we think. And it might have more to do with Barack Obama than we think, but neither one of them are really to blame. The thing that is to blame is simply when you remove objective morality, transcendent morality that can be found in scripture, in the God of the Bible, all you're left with is personal opinion and personal feelings. And there is no right, there is no wrong. And this happened at my house just, just over the Thanksgiving holiday. I had my wife's family all over and they're great and I enjoyed their company, but there was one issue. So I, I, as we were about to all go get food, I asked that anyone under 30 go to the kids table, uh, the kids table and that placement be given to those who are older at, at the adult table. Well, I went to go prepare some things. I came back and sat down with my plate. Everybody else was already seated. And I noticed that there were two 20-year-olds sitting at the table that I asked them not to sit at. Now, I was thinking, well, that's kind of weird. Maybe they didn't hear me. So I said, hey, guys, would you mind? Um, there's another older couple that wants to sit at this table. Would you guys mind sitting at the other table? Um, now, the older couple said, hey, no, 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 don't worry about it. I will go sit over here. And I thought at that point, okay, well, I'm not going to fight for them if they're not going to fight for themselves. I think that respect should be given to this, to this couple. But nonetheless, in order to keep the peace, I'll just, we'll just do things as it is. I didn't find out till later that actually the parent of, that, of, those, of those kids actually insisted that they sit at the adult table and, um, and in opposition to, to my request. Now, the reason I bring that up simply is that not only did it really anger me that that took place, that somebody would undermine my authority in my own house like that when I simply asked them kindly uh, just this, this simple request. But the reason I bring it up is that ultimately you could argue in a secular society that nobody has to obey your rules. Who cares if it's your house? We can disrespect you. And at the end of the day, subjective morality says you do you. You, you do whatever you want. And in a world where 
largely we've totally gotten rid of the Bible, even if you're a self-proclaimed Christian who doesn't really obey scripture or Christian principles, um, what we end up doing very often is justifying our own actions in our own eyes. But we don't see conclusively that lying to people, stabbing them in the back and doing things behind their back is actually immoral and wrong. Now you could argue that perhaps where we sit at Thanksgiving doesn't really matter. I would argue that respect actually really matters, especially in a polarized society, and scripture could help us reclaim some of that respect. Um, but nonetheless, you, you might argue that this is just a small example, and I will grant you that. It's something that ultimately, in the whole scheme of things, doesn't really matter. But what it does illustrate, hopefully, is that when we remove a moral compass or a moral objective standard from our life, we have no way of declaring what is right and wrong or saying that the way that we treat each other really it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. You do you and I'll do what I want to do. I don't care the circumstance or the surroundings. I can't say anything to that if morality doesn't really exist in an objective standpoint. If it does, then I can say whenever you do something deceptive and evil behind somebody's back, it is not only cowardly and it is, it is wrong. And I bring that up for the much bigger important point of just saying this, that right now, and there is a ceasefire going on in, in, in Gaza because there is a hostage swap going on. So in exchange for four days of, of, of truce, 100 Palestinian prisoners or so are being exchanged for 50 hostages that are being held by Hamas. So this is going on right now as we speak. Now, a lot of people are arguing that this is just an opportunity for Hamas to kind of uh, buy some time and re-strategize and regroup so that they can replan their next attack against Israel and Israel's falling for this. And then there's even some that are watching pictures of the pr Palestinian prisoners in Israel and saying, hey, well, there's moral equivalence here. So Palestinians have kids and women and Israelis have kids and women. I mean, have you seen the people they're releasing? Now, if there is no moral objective standard here, then we can insert our own kind of morality into this situation and just say, uh, it doesn't matter what the evidence says. It doesn't matter what Israel says. Um, I'm just going to go based upon my gut here. But Israel is saying that the reason you're seeing kids and, and women released from Israeli prison is that these women and these kids have been radicalized by, uh, by the Islamist teachings of Hamas and that these people are actually um, criminals who have committed criminal offenses, some of them stabbing um, Israeli uh, officials, Israeli officers, and um, doing other crimes where they deserve to be in prison. And now the reality is, is if you're going to be honest, you're going to have to say that some of the people in Hamas use women and children as shields. It's not totally unheard of to see a woman that carries a rocket launcher under a burqa or a small child that has a bomb uh, vest and used to go attack um, Israelis. So, so the reality is, is that it's perfectly plausible to believe that Israel is releasing hostages uh, right now that have committed these crimes. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame you for being skeptical right now. The one thing you can't do, though, is you can't insert your own information and immediately discount what Israel says. All of that to say this.
that in the midst of the murkiness of what's going on in, um, in Palestine and in Israel, it, it necessitates that we have a very strong moral compass. Let me give you an illustration in Israel's past, uh, as far as this is concerned. In the past, Israel has agreed to uneven terms like they're doing right now. In 2006, an Israeli captain, a guy named Captain Shalit, was captured by Hamas and then released in 2011 for no less than 1,000 Palestinian prisoners. And one of those Palestinian prisoners was Yahya Sinwar. Now, if you don't know his name, you have probably seen his face because Yahya Sinwar, who was in prison back then in Israel, is now the political head of Hamas. And he is the man that many think is behind the October 7th attacks. So in the midst of this kind of ceasefire and this uh, prisoner swap in the past, they released the leader of Hamas and he's now staging attacks um, in Israel and trying to implement his, ex his genocidal extermination of the Jews through, through Hamas. Now, this is a reminder of a couple of things. And the first one is this, is that human nature never changes. The one thing that never changes about human history is human nature. As technologically advanced as we've become, as supposedly morally superior as we've become, human nature still exists. That's the one thing I think we can gather from what's going on in Gaza right now is that war is still a part of who we are as a people because we're fallen, we're sinful. If we weren't, we would never need war. Unfortunately, we do. It's a reminder that there needs to be a transcendent set of moral values that, that confine what our human nature does and is capable of because we are masters of justification of all sorts of kind of evil if we are not careful. And only a clear moral compass can help you in a time of moral ambiguity. What I mean by that is simply this. The people who are shouting free Palestine in city streets like Nashville and even in my backyard in Chattanooga, these people aren't in support of Hamas necessarily. They're not in support of terrorism. They're not in support of extermination of the Jews, at least by and large, I hope not. But these people are simply morally confused because they don't have a moral compass and they cannot anchor themselves in some very basic principles right now. And these basic principles, as I discussed at the beginning of the show, are simply the fact that a sovereign nation has the right to defend itself. A sovereign nation has the right to think about more than proportionality. They have the right to think about the long game and what is going to be best for their citizens. And in this case, it is undeniably that Hamas be eliminated completely. So all that and more, to just say this, that there will be confusion, there will be moral blindness if there is not a strong moral compass. And in the American West, for the longest time, we've done the best we can to remove scripture and remove Christian ideas from the public square, thinking that that would create a more free and liberal society for all of us. And instead, what it's done is created a bunch of moral idiots, frankly. And if we're going to see past it, we might have to re-anchor ourselves in some transcendent values that can be found in Scripture. So I would just say this, that we need to reclaim a moral compass if we're going to speak out on, on any of these things. And we have to do it from a place of moral authority. Otherwise, we will not be able to see things clearly. And that's particularly the case in this next story, because this one's a little bit murky too, and it requires a moral compass. So Derek Chauvin, who you probably know, is the guy who who had George Floyd under his knee for some odd eight minutes or whatever it was, um, and the, the man who was 
held accountable for his death and is now in prison. And he was just stabbed. I bring up Derek Chauvin here, not just because it's awful whenever anybody is hurt the way he was, but, but simply because what we have here on display is another case of the egregious moral double standard of a society that doesn't have an objective moral standard. So what I mean by that is this, is that the left and the Democratic Party, more generally speaking, uh, loves them some documentaries about people who were wrongfully imprisoned. And at this point in, uh, in time, we at least have enough information to cause us to question whether or not the narrative we heard about George Floyd was actually correct. Now, you can still say that that Derek Chauvin should have done something different, that he should have been more responsive, that he should have been more humanitarian, that he shouldn't have been worried about the people around him that were becoming increasingly agitated um, and being so focused on them that he couldn't focus on George and what was going on with him. You, you can argue many, many things right here, but the one thing you can't argue is that the left is always hypersensitive of information that might implicate that a person is in prison um, illegitimately. And so we want to get the Innocence Project there quickly. We want to uh, assert some kind of racial bias. Uh, but of course, um, unless that person is, is white, uh, we want to do whatever we can to try to figure out how to, to help this individual. But no such luck for Derek Chauvin. There is going to be rejoicing over the fact that this man was just stabbed. Now, I do have to mention something that is a little bit peculiar. Because of the nature of Chauvin's uh, arrest and now his imprisonment, he's been kept in solitary confinement uh, pretty much his whole his whole time while in prison. That's a certain kind of hell in and of itself. But we'll push that aside and just say, you know, I'll be logically consistent here and say I don't think prison should be much more than a certain kind of hell. Uh, when he went back, he was then placed in general population where he was then stabbed. So it seems very interesting to me that the very first moment they have to transport him, um, that, he, that he gets stabbed like this. So insert conspiracy theory as you wish right there. But the one thing that I can say is just certainly this, is that the moral blindness and the egregious double standard here is on full display. Now, let me give you a story from two years back that will hopefully kind of put this on full display. And in terms of prisoners and wanting justice for them and wanting to defend their rights and sticking up for them and making sure that, that they are defended as well. So two years ago, almost to the day today, a guy named Daryl Brooks plowed into and killed five people and injured dozens more, including children, at a Christmas parade in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Mr. Brooks was charged with reckless endangerment and possessing a firearm as a felon. Now, in addition, he's a registered sex offender in Nevada as well. And for all of his crimes and his 50 pages of arrest in the past, he was allowed to go on bail for $1,000. Now, he was allowed after killing all of these people to walk the streets free for just $1,000. Why, you might ask. I bet you you know. Because John Chisholm, a DA of Milwaukee, is a George Soros-funded DA. Also, during the pandemic, this same DA that allowed Daryl Brooks to walk emptied the jail population by about 40% during COVID just because, I mean, you can't have a bunch of prisoners in prison. The reason I bring all of this up is because the left demands leniency and lets a sex offender, a murderer, 
that ran over a bunch of people with his car at a Christmas parade. Let's that man back out on the street while we demand justice from a cop doing his job and maybe doing it poorly uh, while a man is ODing underneath his leg. Now, you may still object to this because you've been so programmed by the mainstream media, but if you unplug from the matrix for just a second, maybe you can see how incredibly ridiculous it is to hate Derek Chauvin and to cry tears for Daryl Brooks. It reminds us that Marxists are after one thing. They're after the destruction of society and removing moral standards is one of the greatest ways that they can do that. And that's why they hate Christianity so much. And you better be careful because Voltaire said this, that if you believe absurdities, then those people who made you believe them can also make you commit atrocities. And certainly it's an atrocity for Daryl Brooks to spend a second of his life free while Derek Chauvin is making sure to feel the full extent of his actions. Perhaps defunding the police is a stupid idea at the end of the day. And we'll see maybe some other ideas not so bright in our final segment, Bible Study with Democrats. Oh God of pronouns. As we talk about a society's need for objective morality today on the show, I wanna bring to your attention a debate that's going to take place very soon, I think on the first, between Ben Shapiro and the Cosmic Skeptic guy. Um, suffice to say, Premier Unbelievable is a great show. I'd highly encourage you to check it out, but they're going to go on the show and together they're going to debate on whether or not religion is good for society. Here's a small trailer of what that conversation is going to look like. Pretty much universally, social science suggests that many of the institutions that we hold dear that shape us, that provide us social support. A huge amount of this used to happen anyway inside of these traditional religious structures and there really has been nothing to replace it. It's amazing how quickly ostensible deontologists transform before our very eyes into utilitarians on this question. We're talking about what the self is here. I mean, atheists believe in the self. Uh, everybody believes in the well, self. Well, no, that's not, I mean, that, that, that I, I find difficult to believe. Why, why would an atheist believe in the self? The self is a series of non-deciding mechanisms. The arguments against God are, are fairly compelling, and I think the arguments against atheism are fairly compelling. The difference is that most people who believe in God have expressed doubts, and a lot of people who are atheists tend to be more religious in this way than many of the people who are God-believers. If people listening agree with me that free will in fact doesn't exist, and simultaneously agree with you that free will is somehow necessary for the upkeep of civilization, then I would simply ask them to consider who's relying on the delusion here. This show does seem to have an extraordinary capacity for putting me face to face with people that I've been talking smack about online, so <laughs> thanks again. I love these kind of shows. I think you'll like it. That's why I showed it to you. Um, I also will recommend to you anytime you see John Lennox debating anybody, especially Richard Dawkins, when they have one-on-one -on -one conversation with each other, it's absolutely phenomenal. So I'd highly encourage you to check that out. But the real reason I wanted to show you that trailer between Ben and the Cosmic Skeptic, I forget what the guy's name is, is just simply for this reason, is that I always find the conversations between um, people of religion and atheists and certainly Christian scholars and, and atheists somewhat hilarious and a little bit uh, befuddling to me, simply because the reality is, is that there is no objective moral basis by which a cosmic skeptic or any other kind of skeptic can truly base his beliefs on. Pure scientific naturalism 
doesn't even have a logical basis for its existence. So you need to posit other things outside of the science world in order to prove scientific naturalism. And so the whole point of it is, is that while I think that there will be some interesting conversation and there'll be some uh, kind of things that you can learn about rhetoric, at the end of the day, all of these conversations are really deeply in favor of the Christian or the religionist simply because uh, they have a tr a tr what they believe to be a transcendent moral basis uh, by which they can root their views in. And now you can argue whether or not that basis is transcendent or not, but what you cannot argue is that the cosmic skeptic actually has a platform to stand on. Often what these guys do is that they want to steal Christian ideas and Christian morality and then claim it as their own. I mean, secular humanism at the end of the day really doesn't mean anything whatsoever. It's just a label that people who hate God put on themselves. It's, it's a, it's a catch-all term that doesn't mean anything because secular humanism doesn't stand for anything. I mean, these are the guys like Sam Harris who say uh, that they believe in human flourishing. It's a, it's a name that again, means nothing. It's a label that they give to things that sounds nice, but doesn't mean anything on what basis uh, do we consider anything flourishing? What, what really does it mean to flourish? I mean, these people don't believe in traditional marriage and they want to put their stamp of approval on homosexual unions, which are non-reproductive in nature. Can you think of anything less human flourishing than a sexual encounter just simply built upon pleasure, but not on reproducing the human species? Take that idea to its logical conclusion and you have zero human flourishing. So again, I argue atheism and skepticism Scientific naturalism, humanism is nothing more than a catch-all term for people who hate Christianity, or more importantly, hate the God of the Bible, and therefore want to justify their belief system by giving it a clever name. Uh, suffice to say, the, the real problem with a debate like this is that there is no basis for any of the arguments that will be made on the other side. There is no objective moral basis anyway. And to give you one glaring, obvious example of this. I want to show you Peter Singer, the famed atheist. Uh, he just recently posted this on X. Another thought-provoking article is Zoophilia is Morally Permissible by Fira Benstow, which is just out in the current issue of JCon Ideas. This piece challenges one of society's strongest taboos and argues for moral permissibility of some forms of sexual contact between humans and animals. This article offers a controversial perspective that calls for a serious and open discussion on animal ethics and sex ethics. So yes, we're supposed to take seriously a conversation on whether or not humans can have sex with animals. I mean, we don't even care about consent anymore. Uh, it's just apparently a, uh, Christian, uh, a, a Christian invention to oppress people's human sexual desires. <laughs> I, I have to argue now the side of the Peter Singers of the world and the cosmic skeptics of the world. If there is no objective moral values, then guess what? They actually have a point. Who are you to tell me that I can't have a great night of sex with my donkey? Who are you to tell me that I can't rape that dog down the street just simply because I was feeling a little frisky that night? Obviously, it's a subject that demands all of our serious attention to talk about whether or not human beings should be having sex with animals. Now, Peter Singer, by the way, is the guy who wrote Animal Liberation in 1975, which is a book that endorses veganism. Now, I think we know why he really wants those animals left alone. 
Apparently, he wants more of them for you-know-what. Suffice to say, Peter Singer and the Peter Singers of the world have a point. If there is no such thing as Christian moral values, if the Bible isn't a source from which we should derive objective moral values, well, then you do you, brother, or you do your animal or your pet or whatever, because there is nobody to tell you that that's wrong. Again, we're left with my opinion and your opinion, and who's to say one opinion is better than another opinion, unless we have something outside of ourselves to tell us that this is wrong, regardless of what we believe about it. So you can argue all day long that the trans person has the right to identify any way they want and that the homosexual has the right in the privacy of their own bedroom to do anything that they want. And you are correct. That is unless there is a higher moral law that demands our attention. A higher moral law that demands that we recognize that if nature and science are telling you something isn't quite right, then perhaps when it also coheres with Christian scripture, you should recognize that morality demands that we look beyond our own human passions and desires. The left and the humanist of our age have destroyed the definition of love because now compassion can be all sorts of things. And they've destroyed the definition of sex. You know why? Because secularism has left us without the ability to truly define things from a moral perspective or from a religious perspective. And now definitions and meanings are morally arbitrary and personally constructed. These social constructivists that think that reality is just a mere fabrication of your perception have left us without the ability to tell the difference between a woman and a pony. And it's left a generation of people sticking things where it doesn't belong including their Bibles, and I'd highly encourage you, if you haven't in a while, to pick it up. Perhaps if somehow you have a blind spot and you hate Christianity or you resist the ideas and the teachings of Scripture or have fallen for some of the very foolish ways in which um, atheists of old have argued against Christianity, I'd highly encourage you to check it back out because you might find that it's actually really beneficial for society, that it actually does provide a moral basis for human flourishing that the atheist never can. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and to go with God.